0: In verse 7, let's read this in unison. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, the word of God says, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for this powerful verse that's helped so many people over the years. And I pray today, one more time, that it would bless our hearts, that we'd be truly helped by what we are going to look at here in the scriptures and that you would be honored and glorified by all that is said and done. And we pray that Jesus would be lifted up, that our faith would be strengthened and that your will would be done. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We look at this passage of scripture here this morning and I want to... Bring your attention to two words, one phrase. The last two words of the verse are the faith, the faith. What is the faith? Now we know what faith is. Faith is usually, as talked about, it's our confidence in the person and promises of God. So my faith is my personal confidence in God and His Word. But what is the faith? And the Bible talks about it like the faith. Paul kept the faith. The phrase the faith is used 43 times in your King James Bible. So it must be pretty important. It must be something that God wants us to know and understand How would we define the faith? Two important examples of this truth are found in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and Jude verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 1, go ahead and look at it. Hold your place in 2 Timothy, we'll come back. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and look at verse 2. The Bible says unto Timothy my own son in the faith. So Timothy was not Paul's biological son but he was his son in the faith. We know what a son is but what is the faith. Another important example is in the book of Jude. We won't turn to it now. We'll look at it in, in a little bit. But Jude Verse 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write to you that ye, and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. So whatever the faith is, it was given once, and it's always been here since then, and it's never supposed to change. And then this verse also tells us that whatever the faith is, we're supposed to contend for it. That whatever the faith is, we must contend for it or fight for it, lest it be corrupted and no longer be the faith that was once given to the saints. So what is this thing called the faith? Let's look back at our text verse and get a little context here. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7 has been quoted countless times since it was penned. It was inspired by God over two millennia ago and since then it has helped countless people, countless believers to be faithful to God. So listen to these words. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now these words were penned just a short time before the Apostle Paul was martyred for his faith. He was uh, under house arrest the the time. He was eventually killed for being a follower of Jesus. And so in his recollections and through the inspiration of God, he's able to say, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I kept the faith. And notice that these verbs are in the past tense. Paul fought, Paul finished, Paul kept. I just want to remind us this morning that Paul's life mattered because of the things he had done for the Lord. Can I tell you on your deathbed it's not going to matter how much money you have in the bank. On your deathbed it's not going to matter what kind of house you have or what kind of cars in the driveway. You've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse. You can't take it with you. The old Egyptians used to bury uh, they, when when someone of prominence would die, they would mummify them, and then they would bury them with all their treasures, so they would have their treasures in the afterlife. And when they would find these tombs, and often people would look for these these tombs because they would find treasures. But you know, you can't put possessions or gold or silver or money into your casket and have it on the other side. It's not the way it works. The only thing that follows us is what we do for God here. And so at the end of Paul's life, he's, he's not reflecting back on his possessions or even his accomplishments. He, he didn't say, boy, I, I, I did this many things and I was known this way and people all over Asia knew me. And what really mattered to him is what he had done for the Lord. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. And then notice the details of these things. Paul says, I fought a good fight. This doesn't mean he was a boxer or an MMA uh, champion. Uh, He fought the spiritual battle. And of course, there is a spiritual battle raging in this life. This speaks of Paul's spiritual battles against the three enemies of God and his people. The first enemy is the world system. Since that first sin in the Garden of Eden, the entire world system is bent toward evil. And it, it works trying to get trying to get us to not follow the lord uh the second enemy is the sinful flesh our own flesh that's corrupted by sin pulls us toward wrong you know nobody has to teach a child how to lie nobody has to teach a child how to steal or to hit their brother or sister or pull somebody's hair all that stuff is built in that's the sinful flesh and when we get saved we have a new nature that's able to counteract and overcome that sinful flesh but man the greatest enemy you have is you. Can we be honest with that? The greatest enemy Paul Chapman has is Paul Chapman. And that's the flesh. And if we're going to serve God, we've got to work to to fight against that. And then, of course, the the third and great enemy of God and his people is the despicable devil. So the world system, the sinful flesh, the despicable devil, the, the apostle Paul says, I have fought a good fight I didn't let the world take me. I didn't let my own flesh take me down. I didn't let the devil win the victory. Uh, And we must overcome these enemies with God's help as well if we hope to be faithful to God. Then notice the last phrase, excuse me, the second phrase, I've finished my course. So he says, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. This speaks of God's will for Paul. You know, there are two types of God's will. One is the general will of God, and that is just God's will for everybody. You know, the Ten Commandments apply to everybody. The, the, the basic truths of right and wrong, they apply to everybody. That's the general will of God. But then for every person who's ever been born, there is a personal will of God. Just like God took the care to plan who you would be, what you would look like, every one of your features, your height, uh, uh, every one of your physical features, your emotional features, your personality traits. God meticulously planned each part of you. That's why there's only one you. And there will only ever be one you. Of all the 8 billion people alive on the world today, you are the only you. Of everybody who's ever lived, there's never been anybody just like you. And God meticulously planned out who you would be. And don't forget, he also meticulously has planned out a course for you while you're alive on this earth. He has planned a path for you. And that's called the will of God. And as we walk the will of God, boy, the blessings come and, and, and the, 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 the fullness of what God has offered. Now, sometimes we get off the path, don't we? And sometimes we get in the path and we get in the thorns and the thickets and the poison ivy and we have all of those things to deal with. But the beautiful thing is the path is always there and we can come back to it anytime we want. And whether this morning if you are directly in the will of God or you're off in the bushes somewhere, the course is still available and you can get back on it and start walking it today. And the Apostle Paul said, I finished my course. I've walked the path God laid out for me. I've accomplished God's will. And may this be said for all of us. But notice the last phrase, and this is our thought for this morning. I have kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Now the old English word kept here is the word for guard. Oftentimes when you see the word keep in the Bible uh, or kept, it doesn't mean to hold on to or to retain possession it, it more literally talks about retaining possession or or protecting by guarding it. So it's not just that I have it. I fought off those that would try to take it from me. I fought everything that was trying to corrupt it so it, I could maintain it in the same fashion that it was given to me. And so Paul guarded the faith he had been given. On that Damascus Road, all of those years ago, uh, he was on his way to uh, kill and persecute and imprison more believers. Jesus came in his glorified form, knocked Paul off his horse, spoke to Paul in a glorious fashion. The people there could hear a voice and they saw the light, but they didn't, they didn't hear the conversation. They didn't know what was going on. But Paul got up off that ground different than he fell on it. And he said, Lord, what, what wilt thou have me to do? And that started the word Lord there. We believe that's the moment of Paul's salvation where he acknowledged Jesus as Lord. What a, what a transition that you're going there to murder and imprison people that, that even speak this name, and now you're calling him Lord. That's a transformational moment. And on that day, Paul was given something. He went to see a prophet named Agabus and He told him that God's got something special for you. And God God told Paul that I'm going to use you to, to take my gospel far and wide. And God gave Paul something called the faith. And Paul said, at the end of his life, he said, I have kept the faith. I've guarded it. I'm dying with the faith the same As it was when I was given to it all those years ago. It's pretty powerful. So we come back to the question what is the faith? And what are we supposed to do about it? And why does it matter? Let me give you a couple thoughts here this morning, and then we'll go eat some cake. Amen. The definition of the faith. The definition of the faith. What is the faith? Well, the Bible gives a couple uh, definitions of it generally, a couple, calls it a few things, and then we'll give you a definition. Look at Jude chapter 3, the book of Jude, the last, next to last book in the Bible. Jude, and there's only one chapter, verse 3. Jude chapter 1 and verse 3, I want you to see it, beloved When I gave all diligence to write unto you of, look at this phrase, the common salvation. The common salvation. So this means it's a salvation that is common to everybody. It doesn't mean it's common as in plentiful and easy and all of that. It, It speaks about it's the same salvation that applies to everybody. It's common among all. And so one word or one way to describe this thing called the faith is to call it the common salvation. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter just turn back a couple books in the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So this thing called the faith, it's a like faith, it's a common faith, it's a precious faith, it's a valuable faith. And the way that you get the faith is, is through the righteousness of God and the Savior, Jesus Christ. So we get the faith by exercising my faith in the person and work of Christ. When I choose to believe in Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and He becomes my Savior, now God gives me this thing called the faith, and it's the common salvation. It's like precious Faith, it's a faith common to Jews and Gentiles. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel of Christ, is the power of God, unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Jesus is for everyone. This thing called the faith, listen, never forget that Christianity is not an American religion. Christianity is not a cultural thing. It's not a thing about color or demographics. It's not a thing for poor people. It's not a thing for foolish people. You know, the world tries to to put salvation, tries to put the faith in a box. But never forget that salvation was purchased by a man who lived in Israel all those years ago, and he was a Jew by birth coming down through the lineage of Abraham, and he is the one that everybody who's ever lived has to look to for salvation, for cleansing of their sin, for entrance into heaven, and to receive this thing called the faith. Romans 10, chapter 10, verses 12 through 13 says, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Now, the reason why the Bible uses that phrasing is the Jews knew that they were God's chosen people, but it also made them very proud. So, In a Jewish mind, it was the Jews and everybody else. So from a Jewish perspective, you're either a Jew or a Gentile. And Greek would just be another word for Gentile. And the Bible here is saying, no, no. And the entire New Testament is trying to teach Jews that Christianity is not just for Jews. And and Jesus isn't just for Jews. And it's trying to teach the Gentiles that Jesus is for the Jews too. He's the Savior of everyone. And so the Bible says there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. Then that great verse, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Colossians 3.11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Think about that, Christ is all. He's the only thing that matters when it all boils down to it. He is everything, and He's in everything. He's for everyone. Christ is the answer. And so it's the common salvation. It's the like precious faith. Here's a definition of the faith. What is the faith? The faith consists of the doctrines taught by Christ and his disciples. The faith refers to the whole system of truths that God intends for us to believe. So my faith is my personal confidence in God and his promises. Saving faith is my personal faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, his death, burial, and resurrection, trusting him to forgive me and take me to heaven. The faith is the body of truth that God gives to all those that believe in Him and says, this is what is true, and I need you to protect it and pass it on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Have you noticed that truth is under attack in our world today? Yes. It's like anything that's true is under attack. You could say, well, the sky is blue. It's like, well, it's not blue, it's green. What? No, it's green. Huh? I've got a list of specialists here and and doctors and psychologists and, and this group and that group, they all say the sky is green. What are you? Some kind of weirdo? It's like, what? The sky's blue. And a lot of people nowadays are saying, Okay, fine, the sky's green. Folks, no matter how many times you say the sky's green, it doesn't change the fact that the sky is blue. Yes. Every truth that matters is under attack in our world today. And it's not an an attack against any one group. You have to see it from a a spiritual lens that is an attack against God and what He says is true. Because folks, if you take the truth away, all you've got left is lies. Nobody wants to live in that world. So the faith is that body of doctrine, the whole system of truths that God intends for Christians to believe. It is what is true, and he passes it on to us. So, for example, the fundamentals of the faith. These are things that are true. These are things that make up whatever the faith is. The very foundation of all the doctrines that make up the faith rest on just a handful of doctrines that are have been under attack for generations. And those fundamentals of the faith, for example, biblical inerrancy. You can trust your Bible. The Bible is God's word. Folks, the Bible has been under attack ever since the Garden of Eden when when the serpent said to Eve, Yea, hath God said? Satan understands how powerful this book is, so he does everything he can to destroy your faith and everybody else's faith in the Word of God. There is a reason why the world system right now is bent to telling everybody the Bible's not true while also doing everything they can to keep them from reading it. If something's not true, it's easy just to, well, read it. Does that sound right to you? That's crazy. Now, what happens if you read this book is it touches somewhere that no other book touches. So the only thing they can do is condemn it and keep it away from you. But the Bible, the biblical inerrancy, and not just in the originals, but the, the, the book we have today can be trusted. It is the inspired, preserved Word of God. And we believe in biblical inerrancy. And then the fundamental of the faith, the deity of Christ. Jesus Christ is God. Folks, if Jesus isn't God, then his, He died for His own sins. His death couldn't have been for us. And the fact that the deity of Christ has been under attack for so long by people who are, are clearly enemies of, of Christianity. And boy, they always sneak in. They, they, a couple hundred years ago, they started sneaking in the, the institutions and, and the, the seminaries. It would shock you today to know how many colleges that are supposed to train preachers are destroying people's faith in the Word of God. They're destroying preachers' faith in the Word of God, they're destroying preachers' faith in the deity of Christ. They're destroying preachers faith in the substitutionary death of the cross. And so the fundamentals of the faith are under attack. And just like you're seeing on a political level that they, the institutions, it starts up here and they kind of take those over and then all the craziness filters down. That's what they did many years ago is they took over the seminaries and all of that filtered down into the churches. Uh, and, and this is a, a battle that we must contend for the faith. The fundamentals of the faith, biblical inerrancy, deity of Christ, Christ's substitutionary death on the cross, that's a fundamental of the faith. Jesus died in your place so that you could go free. That's a fundamental of the faith. Salvation through grace by faith in Christ alone. That's a fundamental of the faith. You know, if, if you're a Hindu, you can't add Jesus to just be one more of the 300,000 gods you believe in. It's not just adding Jesus to whatever system of belief you have. It's trading whatever system of belief you have for Jesus. That's literally what the word repentance means. It's I'm going to let go of all these things I have been believing. I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to believe in Jesus Christ. Salvation is through grace by faith in Christ alone. The blood atonement. It wasn't just the death of Jesus on the cross that paid for our sin. It was the shedding of blood, perfect blood, in fulfillment of all the old symbolic Old Testament sacrifices. The imminent return of Christ, I think, is a fundamental of the faith. Among Christianity right now, there's a a debate. When's Jesus coming back? He's going to come back after the tribulation. He's going to come back in the middle of it. He's not coming back at all. He's going to come back. We believe that the next thing on God's calendar is the return of Christ. You better be ready. You better be ready. He could come back at any time. And I think that that creates an urgency in Christians to live for Christ today. These are fundamentals of the faith. But the faith is built upon those and encompasses all the doctrines built upon them. What about the doctrine of creation? How did things get here? Genesis 1-3. through The doctrine of the Trinity, one God in three persons. The, the deity of Christ, the bodily resurrection. Of course, that was under the fundamentals of faith, and I skipped over it. A, a bodily resurrection, a physical resurrection of the dead. If there, is no phys, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then there's no salvation. 1 Corinthians 15 is very clear on that. These are fundamentals. The virgin birth. If there's no virgin birth, then Jesus was just a man like everybody else. Inspired, preserved word of God. Now, the beautiful thing is, a sinner does not need to know all the doctrines of the faith in order to be born again. Isn't that good news? Right. You know, the only thing I knew when I got saved is that I was a sinner and I didn't want to go to hell. And Jesus died on the cross for my sin, was buried, and rose again. And He promised if I trusted Him, He would forgive me. That's all I knew. I didn't know what Bible version to use. I didn't know what music was good. I didn't know know if you'd ask me about transubstantiation, consubstantiation, creation. I just would have looked at you like, what are you talking about? The only thing you need to know in order to be saved, in order to be born again and forgiven, is the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But as soon as you're born again... God says, now I'm going to give you the faith, this body of truth that everybody, every believer should believe and hold on to and protect. That's why the Bible says that Paul led Timothy to Christ and as a result, Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. In this body of doctrine, Paul was the human instrument that God used to save Timothy. So now, Paul was teaching Timothy about the faith and so Timothy could hold on to the faith and go with others and give them the faith and teach them about it and we see all of these wonderful things. So we see the definition of the faith. Let me speak briefly to the expectation of the faith. Once someone has the faith, the Bible tells us that there's a different behavior that's expected for those who are in the faith and those who don't have the faith. Second Timothy, excuse me, 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What's the Bible saying? You can't chase Jesus and money. You'll corrupt yourself. You'll corrupt your ethics. You'll corrupt your morals. You'll corrupt your family. How many people do we know that have lost everything in pursuit of, of what the world has to offer. And the Bible says if you, if you chase after that stuff, you will err from the faith and you'll pierce yourself through with many sorrows. Let's just be clear. How many people don't go to church on Sunday because they make double time on Sunday? I don't think that's a good trade. That's right. It's not a good trade if you pay me double and I have to err from the faith. I'm not going to lose my family over that. I'm not going to lose my kids. I don't want to lose my marriage. I don't want to lose myself. Now, there are some occupations today that, that require church on Sunday, and that's a cultural problem because they don't value that. And certain things in the medical field, there perhaps is some necessity to that. But we've got we've to protect ourselves. You know, how much money would it take you to turn your back on God? If somebody gave you a million dollars, would you never go to church again? What about a billion dollars? If somebody gave you a nice camper, would you... Start skipping church and going camping on Sundays instead of church. If someone gave you a lake house in Geneva, you say, well, I've got to be gone this weekend. I'm going. What I tell the Lord is, Lord, I'll go on Monday. If you give me a lake house, I'll I'll go on Monday. And stay like Monday and Tuesday. I don't have to be there Saturday and Sunday. So I don't don't want to take the lake house perhaps out of the equation. Uh, You know, let's be wise about this thing. But... The faith, there's an expectation that goes along with the faith. In Acts chapter 11, disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Did you know people that believe in Jesus today are called Christians? But first, the first people called Christians were people that lived like Jesus. Christian literally means a little Christ. They would say, wow, that person is like a little Jesus. They talk like Jesus. They act like Jesus. They have the morals of Jesus. I wonder when we look at our lives today, could someone honestly look at me and say, boy, he's a little Jesus. Or could they say, well, he's a little devil. He's a little rascal. We want to live in such a way where we we have the behavior, the expectation of the faith. If I know all of these incredible life-changing eternal doctrines, how could I not let them change my life? Christ is our example of service. We should strive to follow the pattern of works left by Christ. This is the expectation of the faith. And then we see the contention of the faith. Jude chapter 3, we read about it, that you must earnestly contend for the faith. Satan is trying to corrupt the faith. The world world is trying to pull us away from the faith our own flesh would much rather have us walk away from the faith and enjoy a hedonistic life of of pleasure at any cost satan is trying to deceive us and lie to us about god our culture right now is trying to water down christianity christian just you might be able to believe that but don't talk about it you know go go over there sit down be quiet don't talk about it this is 2023 uh, you're, you're no longer wanted, your input's not wanted. Matter of fact, if you if you even think that, you're a this and a that and a phobe and an ism. And the entire world is bent to try to get us to take this thing called the faith and at least corrupt it. That's their plan. And we start taking out the pieces that aren't socially acceptable and we start taking out the pieces that make life difficult, and then we've got these kind of deconstructed pieces of the faith left. Well, that's, that's not what Paul said. Paul said, I've, I kept the faith. So the world's trying to get us to piecemeal it and take it apart, or the devil's ultimate goal is to get us to walk away from it and not have any impact in this world at all. And that's the last thing I'll say today. we got the definition of the faith, the expectation of the faith, the contention of the faith, and the last thing is the abdication of the faith. The word abdicate means to abandon. And we are living in days of apostasy and apathy. We're living in days where people that call themselves Christians are walking away from the Bible. They're walking away from church. They're walking away from the truth. They're abandoning the faith. We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you're right here, let's just look at these last two verses. 1 Timothy. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. What is that? The faith? Avoid profane and vain babblings. I love how descriptive that is. Profane is is like corrupted, and vain is empty. Babblings is like speech, but it's just derogatory. It's it's not really speech, it's like babblings. And then he says, and oppositions of science falsely so called. Isn't it interesting that 2,000 years ago, the Bible talks about something called false science? We're living in a day. Never forget, atheists still have a religion, but their religion is the absence of God, so they worship themselves. The priests and rabbis of this new religion are experts, scientists, people with a lot of degrees. That's kind of the clergy of the atheistic religion. They have an impeccable faith in what their experts tell them, and science. We believe the science. We follow What is the science? It's a lot like the faith, the body of doctrines that they say this is now what science is. The science is settled. Well, if you remember sixth grade science class, science is never settled. Science is always under investigation, looking for more things. There's a difference between hard science that follows uh, procedures and the scientific method, and what's called soft sciences that are very subjective, and what the world is doing is taking everything that is called science and saying, now this is what you believe, and this is what's true, but yes, haven't, haven't we been told, oh, Siri's listen to me again, the <laughs> Apple doesn't like my sermon, trust Jesus, get saved, amen, <laughs> right. somebody's sitting in Norad with headphones going, oh, what is that? We've been told an awful lot of things over the last three years that we know now are provably false, but that was what the science is. I heard a well-respected man, of course he's not a biologist, but he's another scientist, it's like a priest of the atheistic order, and he's like, well, chromosomes, XX, XY, they really apparently don't mean anything because you can just become whatever you want, and he said, that's the science. It's like, what? What? Well, this is the science. Folks, we live in a day where there is science falsely so-called. And you have to have discernment to not just believe the science. You know, next time someone tells you a poll, say, can I read the information about that? Do you know they use polls to tell you what they want you to believe? Well, by this poll, you know, 32% like this guy, 78% like this guy, and it's like... Oh, what's the poll? Well, they overweighted this group by this much, and they, the devil's in the details. Well, you know, all this thing is, where are the scientific studies about that? Why do you believe that? Well, so-and-so said it, and -and so-and-so said it. I read this. My professor said this. The truth is the whole world lives by faith. Everybody's believing somebody else. Christians choose to believe God's word. We choose to believe the faith. You so say, I don't believe that. Then you need to investigate in your own heart and life, who are you believing? Because most of the time, you haven't seen the data, you didn't look at the studies, you don't know the details of the experiments, you're believing what someone told you. And right now, dear friend, in these days of apathy and apostasy, there is an abdication of the faith where people are walking away, there needs to be some people like a group here at Curtis Corner Baptist Church that says, no sir, no ma'am, I'm with Jesus, I'm with God. Amen. I was given the faith, and by the grace of God, whether I die a natural death or I die a martyr for Jesus, I want to be able to say in my last days, I have kept the faith. Amen. And by God's grace, let's all be able to say that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth that we've heard today. And Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of us to receive it, to process it. I pray if there's one here today or one watching or listening online that's not born again, that today would be the day that they'd be saved, that they'd trust Jesus as their Savior. I pray for all of those who are born again that we would see that we've been given something precious called the faith, like precious faith. And your will for us is to keep it the same way as when we got it and to pass it on to others. Lord, I pray in these crazy days that we would understand what the faith is, we would protect it, We'd allow it to change our lives, make the world a better place around us. And, Lord, that you'd use us as the lighthouses of your love and truth.